Good morning. If you have your Bible, uh, open it to Galatians chapter 6. There's just three short verses we're going to talk about this morning. Um, We live in uh, a church that is filled with people that are affected by broken religion. And more than that, we live in a church filled with people that are affected by the battle that wages within us um, of our Spirit versus our flesh. Two weeks ago, I talked about our flesh, and last week, Dave talked about our spirit, and it's a constant struggle, constant battle that's always real within us. And uh, our our chapter breaks and verse breaks that we've done in uh, in the Bible, you, you realize that that the chapter and verse breaks were not in the original scripture. So our chapter and verse breaks are not always good, and and they can also think that that something is transitioning, but what we're going to talk about today is building upon what Paul has been arguing, what Dave and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks. Uh, So we we need to kind of start from that point that we are are people that live among people that are deeply affected every moment of every day by this constant battle that's at war within us of our flesh versus our spirit. And we can choose to live in the freedom of complete forgiveness— Let me say that again. You can choose to live in the freedom of the complete forgiveness that's yours. Let that sit on you for a second. You can choose to live in that freedom of the complete forgiveness that is yours. Or you can live in the broken religion world of trying to earn something from God. Or or trying to, to... to live in, in the fact that you're not forgiven or you think that you're not forgiven. Um, there, um, I, you know, we, we've had these weights around us. Um, if there's a weight under you or under the chair in front of you or around you or near you, uh, I want you to just pick it up and hold it for a little bit, if you would. Um, Josh, there's one right there. You can grab that one. She already, she already picked it up. Joe's going to grab that one. Thank you, Joe. Um, just hold on to it for a while. I'll give you something to do with it later, all right? Um, I want to... All right. Good job. Um, so uh, I want to tell you a story. There once was uh, a brother and a sister who went to a farm every summer to hang out with their grandparents for a week. Um, Brother was younger, sister was older, and when they first got there this particular week, uh, the, the grandfather says to his grandson, I've got this, this surprise for you, I want you to, to have this and, and play with it this, this week and uh, learn to use it, and he hands him a slingshot and, and a bunch of stones, and so the boy's really excited, he's going to learn to shoot a slingshot, and so he, uh, he's really excited, he runs back to the pond in the backyard, and he's going to you know, use these stones and find some other stones around the pond and, and start learning to use a slingshot. And he's really terrible. He can't hit anything. He doesn't shoot it very hard. And, and as he keeps going, he kind of gets, gets a little bit better. And then, uh, like a mischievous little boy, he sees a duck in the, in the pond outside the backyard. And he's like, I'm going to shoot this duck. I'm going to try to, well, I'm really bad. So I'm not going to shoot. I'm not, I'll, just give me a shot. And he, and he hits the duck right in the head and he kills the duck. Um, and the boy looks around, and he, he's trying to find out, like, did somebody see me? Because Grandpa loves this. There's a collection of ducks that live there, and Grandpa loves these ducks. He feeds them. They're kind of pets to him, and now he's killed one. He's checking to make sure Grandpa didn't see him. So Grandpa didn't see him. 
and he, the, the pond is not very deep, so he kind of wades out to where the duck is, and he grabs the duck, and he tosses the duck into the bushes. He's going to act like it never happened. So he's all wet. He comes back inside. Uh, later on that night, um, they have dinner, and these kids at, at grandparents' farm have, have a job every week or throughout the week that they all have to do, and the sister's job is to do the dishes. Uh, dinner's almost over, and the sister leans over to the, to the brother and says, by the way, you're going to help me with dishes tonight. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to help you with dishes. What are you talking about? And she leans over and whispers to him, I saw what you did with a duck. You're going to help me with dishes tonight. So for the rest of the week, he doesn't just help her. He does the dishes because he doesn't want her to tell a secret. And the week, several days pass, and the boy's just like overcome with this guilt like, I, I, I can't, and he doesn't enjoy, he hasn't touched his slingshot since, and he's, he's like, he's just having a terrible week because he's got this guilt on him. And then it's finally, enough is enough, he, he just, he goes to his grandfather and says, I'm sorry, Grandpa, when I first came, I, I, I didn't really think that I could, but I, I killed the duck and I threw it in a bush, I'm sorry. And the grandpa says, I know, I saw the whole thing, I watched you. And he's like, well, why didn't you, why, why are you letting me sit in my guilt? Why, why have you been making, why have you been making me do the dishes? Because you knew, and he said, I, I've, I've known all along and I forgave you in the moment, but I'm just waiting to see how long you'll let your sister hold you hostage. Um, and that's, by the way, that's, that's completely, like, it's a parable, it's completely made up, didn't happen. Um, but it illustrates a great, incredible point for us as, as we, like, I want, you to, I want you to stop for a second and look around you. Look to your left and to your right. Look in front of you and look behind you. Every person that you're currently looking at wrestles with their flesh and their spirit. Every one of us, we wrestle with it. And we can choose to live in the forgiveness that God offers to us. Or we can choose to live in the guilt that our enemy wants us to live in. Trying to earn something. Living in a prison. But what's offered to you completely and fully and utterly is absolute forgiveness. There's nothing between you and God. But freedom to engage. Freedom to enjoy. But we are broken. Galatians 1. Or Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. I want to talk about four words and one phrase here. First is brothers. He starts this whole conversation off with the word brothers. And he's talking, there's, there's two sort of deep meanings here. First is Christians. He's talking to other Christians, other people who have patterned their lives after the life of Jesus Christ and want to please him. This is who he's talking to. But more than that, a little deeper than that, is brothers. Um, there's a, uh, a, a scene, I, I love the movie Saving Private Ryan. There's a scene that I really, really love in that movie. Um, 
For those of you who don't know, Saving Private Ryan is a movie about uh, this, this group of, of people that have, are going to find Private Ryan. They're going to save Private Ryan because Private Ryan has three brothers and they've all died in the war. And so this is World War II. And so they've been given the task to go find Private Ryan and send him home so that his mom doesn't lose all four of her kids in the same war. Uh, and so this group is assigned the single task. Their mission is to go and find Private Ryan. Along the way, two of these guys die trying to find Private Ryan. And by the time they get there, there's one in particular, one guy in particular. They're all pretty angry and pretty much hate Private Ryan because why does he get to go home? when? And they're losing their brothers. They're losing their friends. They're losing their, their people that they're dying because they've got to go save this one guy. What, why does he get to? And so there's this built-in dislike, distrust, and, and even hatred for Private Ryan. So they find him on a bridge uh, in the middle of the, the thick of the war, thick of the battle, this bridge that they're trying to hold because if the Germans gain this bridge, they're going to gain a strong advantage in this area. So they've got to protect this bridge. And they get to Private Ryan and say, okay, you're coming home with us because your brothers are dead. We've got we to gotta send this home. We've got to send you home. And he says to them, I'm, I'm not leaving. Ryan says, I'm not leaving. And Tom Hanks' character says, well, what do we tell your mom? when we have to give her a folded American flag that her fourth son has died. And he said, tell her that I was fighting with the only brothers that I have left. And it's at that moment that like you kind of begin to understand that there's, there's more to brothers than a, a, a common mother. And the, the main guy who, who was most angry at Private Ryan, most hated at Private Ryan had actually been belligerent to him throughout this, this scene. Uh, as the, the Germans are descending upon the bridge, there he's next to Private Ryan, weapon drawn, ready to fight. And he kind of looks at him, gives him this nod, like, yeah, we're, we're brothers. So as, as, we, as we embark on studying what we're about to study, I, I, I want us to, to take that notion of brotherhood among us. That's why, that's why I wanted you to look to your right and to your left and, and in front of you and behind you that every single person in this room and even those that are usually in this room that aren't this morning, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters together fighting this battle together. And my sermon from a couple of weeks ago, I talked about that word oppose. The flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. And that word opposed is bigger than we think. It's this battle, this never ending constant battle that is always true of us. Dude, like, I want you to know that the, the war that you know that wages within you all the time, and it's the, the word picture is, is your flesh, it's designed to chase your spirit away, and your spirit is designed to chase your flesh away, and there's this constant battle that's going on inside of you, and you know that it's real. It's happening to everybody around you. And God has designed the church. Do you, do you understand that? God has designed the church so that broken people can live with each other and encourage and strengthen and bring life to each other. And this is, Paul starts off this conversation with talking about this idea of, of brothers. Uh, the second word that I want to draw your attention to uh, Brothers, if anyone is caught, caught, this word caught is also translated as, as overtaken. If anybody is overtaken, and think about that idea of, of overtaken. 
It's like something has come and taken. We are a prey, and our flesh is a predator. I, I, I need, when we fall to sin, I don't want you to think that there's something wrong with you. That there's this, it's, it's deeper than that. It's over, overtaken. Hit, hit that slide. I want to show you this quote from, uh, from Martin Luther. He's, go back, buddy. He speaks of him as having been overtaken. Look at what he, what he says here. Seduced by the devil and of the flesh. Think about that idea of, of seduced. Like, I'm going to show you something that you're going to think that you have to have. And you're going to be overcome by it. You're going to be overtaken by it. You're going to be seduced by the devil and then by the flesh. As if he meant to say, what's more human than for a human being to fall and be deceived and to err? This comforting sentence at one time saved my life. Martin Luther says this one time, this incredible sentence one time saved my life. That what's more human than for a human being to fall and to be deceived and to err? There's nothing more human for you than to sin. And this is not a, like, the, the, the careful point here, and, and don't hear me saying that it's okay to sin. It's not. Sin is a very awful, wretched thing that has caused separation between us and God and leaves us broken and leaves other people broken. It's not okay. But your sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's finished and there's nothing more human about us than to sin. It's just part of who we are. And to be overtaken, seduced by our flesh. So we, we need to, to understand this idea of what it means to be caught. Um, the, second, the, the third thing here is, is a phrase. You who are spiritual. It says, you who are spiritual. So this, this phrase, uh, let, me, let me read it in, in the context of of the scripture here. I, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You who are spiritual. So we all have flesh and spirit that's a part of us. Every one of us who's given their life to Christ has the spirit living inside of us. But there are some of us who live in seasons where we are more spiritual than fleshly. Remember, where it's, it's a constant battle. It's always, and someone is winning that battle at all times. Your flesh, your spirit. You who are spiritual, your job, your responsibility as a community is to encourage the one who is struggling, who has been overcome, who has been overtaken, who has been caught in a transgression. And then that next word, you who are spiritual, should restore. Restore. That word restore means to put back to its original place. And it used, it's used most often in Scripture in mending a net. You guys have seen in Scripture where, where the, the fishermen, Andrew and I, were mending our nets when Jesus came and called Andrew and Peter. They were mending their nets. They were restoring their nets. They were bringing these nets back to their original state, to where, what they were designed for. Think about mending a net together with, with restoring someone who has... Sinned, who has been overtaken. This is the call for us. And guys, this is, this is so important for us as a church, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, as people who wrestle and struggle with sin. If we could really, really, really be honest with each other, 
tear out these chairs and, and, and come together in a circle and just talk about the sin that, is, that besets us or talk about the difficulty or the hardship of, of this Christian life. And then and we can be honest with each other and, and even so much as to be honest with each other about the, the good places where we are, where, where the Spirit has, has upheld us. Those are things that we want to, like, we, we want to proclaim, but sometimes I think we can, we can squelch those a little bit because we don't want to be seen as prideful. Hey, look at me. I'm really spiritual right now. But the, the truth is that's, that's the reality of who we are. And God has designed it, created us for when we are in a good place to invest in those who are not. That's the call of this. Like the little boy in the story, overcome with his grief, with his guilt. What if somebody had come and sat alongside him and said, what if grandpa had not let him sit in the midst of, of all of that, his guilt, and made him do all this work for three days? What if grandpa had come and sat next to him and said, I saw it, I forgive you. How much does that change his three days? God wants you to be happy. He wants you to live in your forgiveness, live in relationship with him. And he's given you the person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front of you and the person behind you. He's given them to you as a gift to to break free from your sin. The last word in this sentence to, to look at is the word gentleness. It's the same word for meekness. And it means this, I understand who I am, I understand who you are, and I know that I'm nothing better than you. I know that I'm fully capable of being in your position tomorrow. I must move forward with meekness and gentleness. This is the call. When we, when we see sin in somebody that's in our community, in our life, that we are brothers with, when we see that, the call is, I know where you are, and I know that I could be there tomorrow. But for now, you're here, I'm here, let's move towards Christ. This is the gentleness and meekness that God is calling us to live in. Um, St. Augustine says this, There is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit it also. Then he says, You fell today, I may fall tomorrow. What kind of gentleness and meekness do we have to have when we confront sin on a brother? When we realize in the midst of that confrontation, and confrontation is a bad word because it makes, me, it makes you feel like you're grabbing him by the throat. But this, I'm, I'm helping you confront your sin. What kind of meekness has to be involved when you realize that that could be me tomorrow? What kind of punishment do you want to dole out if you know that punishment could be yours tomorrow? This is the heart of what this is talking about. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, If you're sitting next to somebody with a weight or near somebody with a weight, I want you to take it. Take it from them. Joe, you cheated and put yours down. Pick it up. If if you're sitting next to somebody with a weight or near somebody with a weight, I want you to go take, pick it up, take it from them. And I want you to walk out that door. (laughs) <laughs> walk out that door with the weight. Go. Stand up. Walk out the weight with the door. No, no, no. Just for now, just go. There's a little, there's a little patio out there. Set, set the weight down. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. You, you can just, Rachel's out there working out with it. 
Just set it down. Gracie's got a huge one. Just set it down. You guys can come on back in. <laughs> okay, that was, there was a lot of chuckles that were involved there. And uh, in my head, there weren't as many chuckles when that happened. But that's okay. Know your audience. That's true. Let me read this again. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Like, like here, here's the reality. And this is like, um, it's, it's just a weight. And it, it, it's a, it symbolizes something. But God has called you. Listen to me. God has called you to walk next to somebody who's carrying a weight that they don't need to carry. And he's given you a very specific task to take that weight from them and take it outside and leave it there. Like it's, and, and I think the, the, like you could just sit and, and let this, this metaphor chase. God has also called you that when somebody comes to you to take your weight from you, to let them. We want to hang on to it. No, I, I can't, you don't need to carry this burden for me. No, God is, God is calling us to share burdens with each other. This is too important. Do you know what's at stake? The relationship that you have with a holy and wonderful God who wants to bring joy to you. That's what's at stake. And what's causing us to not grab the weight from our friends? What's causing us to not allow our friends to take the weight from us? What's causing us to to cling to it? I think it's a knowledge that we don't understand what's at stake. Do you know this word burden? Bear one another's burdens. This word means a load that you are not able to carry. Like Hannah Grace carried a 30-pound weight, and it was a struggle for her. She has the ability to carry it. It's hard, but she can. This word, burden, means you are not capable of carrying it by yourself. But you're trying to. Stop. Like, is there... I feel like we're, we're, I'm, I'm talking up here on a philosophical level. But let's, like, I want you to think really practically. Where, where is this happening for you? Which side of the fence are you on? Is somebody carrying a weight that they don't need to carry and you're just letting them? Shame on you. Are you carrying a weight because you won't let somebody else carry it for you? God has has created the church. God has brought you to this place to carry it. 
He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen to me. You are never, ever more like Jesus than when you carry a burden for someone. That's really cool. You're never more like Jesus when you carry a burden. What is the law of Christ? John 13, 34 through 35 talks about it. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the law of Christ. Do you know that this is Jesus speaking? Do you know when he says this? Like he's about to die right before he says this. Do you know what he's done right before he, he says this? Anybody? He washes the disciples' feet. The nasty task that I could tell you about how even a, a slave master is not allowed to ask a slave to wash his feet because it's too awful of a task. Jesus has just done this to these people. And then he washes their feet and then he says, somebody here in this room is going to betray me. And then he speaks to them. The greatest example of love is here. If you would love one another as I have loved you. I'm showing you love right now by washing your feet. Washing the feet of the very person who's going to deny me. Washing the feet of the very person who's going to to betray me. This is Jesus. This is what he's doing. This is love. Even if you're the one that's being sinned against. The law of Christ says to love. And by this, all people, not just your brothers, will know that you are my disciples. The greatest task that God has given to you is to love people the way that he loved people. Selflessly. For their benefit. Verse 3 says... For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If there is anything that's in you that's worthy of emulation or respect or admiration of any, if there's anything of any value in there, in you, it was put by there by Jesus himself. So if that's true, what in the world could possibly stop you? From a meek, humble leadership of a friend. It's essential for the health of your soul. It's essential for the health of our church. Um, I want to boil this down to this simple flow chart. Um, And this kind of provides our mission. This kind of allows us to see as Jesus did so are we to do? Broken religion's mission says, I am condemned. We're convincing ourselves and other people that they are condemned. And then the next step, after we realize that we're condemned, we got to work harder. We got to try better. We got we to be better so that we can earn our acceptance. Broken religion says, that's, that's the flow. I'm condemned. I got to do better. If I do better, I'll earn acceptance. And we can 
go on a broken religion mission. Dude, you're broken. You need to try harder. And then God's going to like you. We, we proclaim that message to ourselves. We proclaim that mission to people around us. But the gospel says something different. The gospel says Christ was condemned. Christ is gentle and meek. Think about Jesus on the cross. What were some of the words that he said while he's on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said to his, his, the, his friend on, on, his, on, the, on his side, I'll see you today in paradise. This is Jesus in the midst of this. He, he tells John to take care of his mom. He's, he's concerned with people in the midst of this awful struggle. This is the gospel's mission, that Christ was condemned. Christ was gentle and meek, and Christ offers acceptance. Like our story, the, the grandfather immediately forgave the grandson. But the grandson didn't live in that forgiveness because he didn't know about it. Then the last thing, this is our mission. This is how we bring this idea to bear on our lives. There is no condemnation in you, and we are to carry burdens. There's, there's no condemnation in you. There's no condemnation in you. There's no condemnation. I think we just, I don't know, I'm trying to not be philosophical and be practical. I, I think there's something, isn't there, isn't there something about condemnation that we believe that keeps us in our sin or keeps us from engaging someone else's sin? Like if I know Rick is right in the middle of, a, of sin, he's really struggling with it, and he, he, he's, his flesh is winning. There's something in me that has to either believe that he's condemned or that I'm going to be condemned by him for confronting his sin. There's something about condemnation that we just don't believe. That's why I pause for a second and and. and let it, let it sit in silence that there is no condemnation. Like, consider that. Think about that. Be in, in your community groups and think about and talk about living in condemnation. What about condemnation? What little sliver of it do you cling to? Either as the sinner or as the one that's, that's the spiritual one called to, to confront with gentleness and meekness that sin. There's something real about it. And it's hard to quantify. But it's real. Because we're called to proclaim that message and be gentle and meek and then love. Like, think about the sister in the story. She's she's awful.
Like, how much do you have to hate somebody? Especially if, like, we understand that there's nothing that's this special. If you are wrestling with sin and struggling with sin for a really long time, there is nothing special about you. You're just like me. Just like everybody in this room. There's nothing special about the person living in sin. Stop acting like there is. There's not condemnation in you. There's only love. There's only forgiveness. Just like the grandpa said, I forgave you the moment it happened. Here, the Lord Jesus speaking, I forgave you the moment that it happened. I love you. I love you. I love you. Let's pray and commune together. God, thank you so much for the beautiful words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for the community that you've built here in this place. I thank you for the concept of forgiveness. God, I pray that there would be more about forgiveness than just a concept, God. It might spur us to action, Father. May we offer and receive forgiveness. God, I pray that the people in this room would be willing to offer forgiveness would be willing to lead by asking for forgiveness, be willing to lead by moving others towards receiving forgiveness. God, deal with our hearts, Lord. God, as we sing, as we take communion, God, may we live in your complete and utter forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.